Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. As always, we thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. Gary Marshall is wrapping up his career as CEO of the Missouri Corn Growers after 34 years. He's been a a strong voice for the corn growers in the state of Missouri and around the country, and especially on issues like ethanol. We're going to talk with Gary and reflect back over his 34-year career. We're going to talk with John Newton today. He's chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Get his thoughts on what's in the stimulus package for agriculture and some general thoughts on the ag economy. And we'll get the latest ag equipment sales numbers from Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. All that coming up on today's program. But first, the story behind the headlines we gave you yesterday, the welcome news that World Pork Expo will be coming back this summer, June 9, 10, and 11, to the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. Two years ago, it was uh, canceled because of concerns over African swine fever. Last year, of course, over concerns with the coronavirus. But now it's coming back, and joining us now is World Pork Expo manager Doug Fricky. Doug, good to talk with you, and you have to be excited to... Uh, be able to host World Pork Expo, an in-person event coming up in June. Absolutely, Mike. It's uh, it's great to be on the show today and talk about some real positive news. Uh, two years in waiting, and uh, we're super excited about the opportunity to get producers back together at the event. Needless to say, there should be some pent-up demand for people to get out and, and, and have an in-person event like this. But what steps are you taking? What precautions will you be taking to have this event in June? Well, we're currently monitoring the, uh, the current uh, guidelines and uh, things that are out there related to COVID. Uh, and we'll, we'll monitor those vigilantly as we... Uh, enter into the uh, final months before the show and uh, make sure we have a uh, safe and healthy environment for everybody to meet in. Will you have to do anything differently from the way you've done it in the past? Well, we've always taken a a hard look and uh, focused on keeping a a clean area for everybody to to attend. Uh, You know, that, that goes with anything in pork production. We like to have a, a nice biosecure area, so you know we do the best we can to keep hand sanitizers and those sorts of things uh, readily available. Uh, that's one of the biggest things we'll be uh, focusing on, as well as uh, some things in the exhibit hall where we've got uh, taller grape between booths. If you've attended any of the farm shows that have taken place this uh, this past winter, uh, you've probably seen that in some of those settings. Will there be any limits on attendance as far as how many people you can have on the fairgrounds? Well, as we monitor things, not at this time, but uh, we'll uh, keep an open mind as uh, things progress. Uh, Right now with the event uh, being at the fairgrounds, there's a considerable amount of space for folks to spread out and see all the sites, whether it be at a hospitality tent, indoors, or the outdoor exhibit. So uh, lots of space for folks to spread out. 
We're talking with World Pork Expo manager Doug Fricke as World Pork Expo plans to return June 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. Uh, Doug, will you have a full range of events, uh, all the, the hog shows and everything else? Will those take place? Uh, we won't be having uh, live animals at the show this year. Uh, that was something that uh, we were going to put in place last year. So, you know, the focus is gonna, going to be, again, on the, the trade show aspect, the social aspect that uh, people can get together in hospitality tents, uh, as well as have uh, an opportunity to, to visit with uh, industry leaders at some of the seminars and, uh, you know, really get uh, a good chance to interact with each each other as producers and uh, kind of compare notes as, as things have happened over the last year. And, um, you know, a lot of these folks had a chance to meet at their state shows uh, a year ago, but uh, this year they've, uh, like you said earlier, really have that pent-up uh, ambition to get out and meet with folks. So, you know, we're hoping that's uh, that's the case, and people get a chance to uh, to visit and rekindle some of those friendships they've made over the years. Okay, so no live animal events at this year's World Pork Expo. Uh, what what's been the reaction? What's been the response since the announcement went out uh, yesterday that uh, you're going to be able to have World Pork Expo again? Uh, the response has been phenomenal. We've uh, really been focused on trying to navigate through booth space and get assignments uh, started. Um, people will start uh, seeing things come out with uh, with the floor plans and the maps so you can start seeing where folks will be located that you want to visit when you're at the show. Uh, so, you know, really super excited uh, from the standpoint of the enthusiasm that we're getting back from the exhibitors and as we talk to producers as well. So needless to say, between now and June, uh, there could be a lot of uh, uh, things you'll have to maybe make some adjustments to along the way, depending on how things go with the pandemic and and the the rules that apply. But right now, uh, all for the most part, all systems seem to be go for you as far as getting people onto the fairgrounds. Yes, absolutely, and that's you know, obviously we'll be looking at uh, all of the uh, the guidelines that are out there and uh, focusing on on how those will be. Uh, uh, impacting things that we do and uh, again we want to have a, a safe and uh, healthy environment for everybody to meet in and uh, get folks back together. You mentioned the, the trade shows, the exhibits and, and those events. Certainly you hold a lot of uh, very informative seminars and have some great speakers that come in so it, it's a very educational time as well as producers come into World Pork Expo. Yeah, absolutely. So over the uh, course of the three days, we have two days that are really focused uh, on seminars. So Wednesday and Thursday, you'll see a lot of activity um, in the varied industries building related to uh, uh, various company seminars and seminars that are put on by other organizations within the industry. Uh, so it's a great opportunity to uh, come in and learn something that you might not have uh, heard before or uh, actually obtain information on something you're you're eager to know more about and uh, get some direction on. So it's always the latest and the greatest. Well, Doug, it was indeed welcome news uh, when we heard that World Pork Expo is on for this year. We'll stay in touch with you between now and June to keep everybody updated and look forward to seeing you and many others at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines for World Pork Expo, June 9, 10, and 11. Thanks, Doug. Thank you.
All right, Doug Fricke, manager of World Pork Expo. It is, it's just so welcome news. Exciting to talk about in-person events going to be held again and the plans that are underway. On Monday, we're going to give you the uh, plans for this year's Farm Progress Show as it will return to Decatur, Illinois. Of course, last year it was a virtual event, but this year they're planning on an in-person event as well. And Farm Progress Show manager Matt Youngman will join us on Monday to start previewing Farm Progress Show. All right, we're going to do a little bit of reviewing in our next segment. Gary Marshall is wrapping up a long career as CEO of the Missouri Corn Growers. We'll talk with him about that career, some of the highlights, and his thoughts moving forward for corn growers and the ethanol industry. That's next. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Travis Arp, Senior Director of Export Services and Access for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Tell us about this situation. What's causing this congestion? The issue at the West Coast Forest, I would say, is one that's been getting more complicated over the last couple months, and there's a a few different factors that lead to that. Uh, First and foremost, you've got uh, the pandemic-related issues uh, with labor and limited availability of of longshoremen to get those boats turned around, offloaded, and reloaded with U.S. exports. That's really created a bit of a, a backlog and, and congestion to where containers that are coming in, uh, particularly agriculture goods, would be coming in by rail from the Midwest, uh, don't necessarily have a vessel to get on when they arrive at the port. And so they're having to sit there and, and wait for the opportunity to get loaded and, and put on a boat to be exported uh, to some of these key Asian markets. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids 
kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, one of the real leaders in the corn industry for many, many years has been Gary Marshall, CEO of the Missouri Corn Growers, who is retiring after 34 years. Gary joins us now. Gary, congratulations on a great career, and uh, hard to believe it's been 34 years. It's gone by pretty quickly, hasn't it? Well, yeah, thanks, Mike. It it sure has. You know, uh, I guess it's a long time, but, uh, you know, it seems like that... Uh, it's just yesterday whenever I started, I can still remember, you know, what it was like back in those days whenever we were in the midst of, uh, you know, a huge depression in agriculture, very low prices, extremely high reserves of corn. And uh, thank goodness we're past all of that. And now uh, we've got a real bright future, I think, in front of the corn industry. You've been a real leader uh, for the ethanol industry. And I, I said the other day that it's just amazing that the tremendous highs and the tremendous lows that this industry has gone through over the years. You've been there for both. Um, what are your thoughts on how this industry has started, where it's what it's come through, and where it's at today? You know, it was uh, it was a tough thing to get started because we were taking away uh, up to ten percent of the market from the the big oil guys. You know, the wealthiest, most entrenched industry in the history of the world. And we're going up against them with a with a bunch of farmers, you know, and guys like me that, uh, you know, hadn't done anything like that before. But boy, we quickly learned. I think uh, we spent a lot of time battling those guys in the uh, '90s, and then all of a sudden we got these ideas about new generation cooperatives, farmer ownership of ethanol plants, dry mills instead of the wet mills, smaller plants. And, uh, you know, then, you know, how about farmers investing some of the equity that they've got built up into developing their own markets? So it took us a while to get there, you know, to get everybody on board, to build those plants and things. And, you know, today we're producing, you know, close to 15 billion gallons using 5.5 billion bushels of, uh, of corn. Uh, you know, I think the latest numbers I saw was the ethanol industry adds about $35 billion to the U.S. GDP every year. So it's been a tremendous industry, you know, from the get-go. It's still kind of in its infancy. As you said, you know, a lot of starts and stops over the years. And now we've got electric vehicles out there in the future. But I tend to believe that there's a whole lot of opportunity between now and the reality of when those electric vehicles might hit the marketplace. It could be 20, 25 years down the road. So we have an opportunity, I think, to continue to grow that market here in the next 15 to 20, 25 years. Gary, for those that weren't around in those days when this industry was starting, the ethanol industry was starting, uh, I don't think they can quite comprehend what it was like. I mean, I remember sitting in some of those meetings where uh, you were talking with a group of farmers 
trying to convince them uh, that it would be a good investment by them to get in on the ground floor and build what seemed like at that time a big ethanol plant. They're, they're small in comparison to some of the ones we have today. And to know you were going to go in and really compete with this big giant, the oil industry. I mean, uh, all the odds seem to be against everyone involved. And yet here we are all these years later with the ups and downs. Uh, you know, it's it's a tremendous success story that I think sometimes gets overlooked. It really is. I remember talking to a, a major farm group here in Missouri about investing in ethanol, and they said, well, back in the 70s, early 80s, we, we were involved in a 1.5 million gallon per year ethanol plant, and it lost all kinds of money. And I'm thinking, you know, one and a half million gallons, gosh, what we're talking about at that time were 20, 25, 30 million gallon facilities. And then ultimately, you know, those became 50 and then 100 million gallon and even bigger facilities. But yes, in the beginning, my, what a, what a sales job, you know, it took to get farmers to work together starting to, you know, starting off, that was a big deal, you know, trying to get farmers to work together, mm-hmm. individuals that, you know, they're, they're the most individual people in the world, I think. But yet, you know, they saw a common vision. They, they saw an opportunity to create, you know, something that could work as a hedge for them. Uh, whenever corn prices were high, maybe the ethanol plants didn't make so much. But whenever the reverse was true, then maybe they would make a little bit more on the, on the corn side. So, you know, it's been a, a wonderful, I call it public-private partnership that we've been able to pull together over the years. And it's been wildly successful beyond anything those of us like you and I thought in the beginning that we would see. And when you think of the the criticisms, the, the misinformation, uh, those that have opposed ethanol every step of the way, and still to accomplish what's been accomplished, to have this uh, big a share in the fuel supply that's hopefully going to be growing in the future, I mean, it, it's just a tremendous accomplishment. It really is. You know, there for a number of years, I mean, in, in the uh, mid-2000s, we saw the oil industry put $100 million a year into anti-ethanol advertising campaigns. And they stepped up, you know, the amount of money they were contributing to candidates through their political action committees. They hired more lobbyists. They hired more lobbyists here in Missouri. At one time, you know, when we started on the ethanol business, there were two oil lobbyists in Missouri. When we finally passed a Missouri renewable fuel standard in 2007, They had 11 lobbyists here, just in in the state of Missouri alone. So, yeah, we fought those guys every single step of the way. But, again, the good news is that uh, I've always told people, you know, we don't have the money that the oil industry has, but we have a lot of farmers. Every single one of those folks vote. And that's always made a difference to our elected officials. So, again, a great public-private partnership to help develop the ethanol industry. I wonder if those in the oil industry, I guess they'd never admit it, but looking back they probably if they would think well had we partnered more with the ethanol industry instead of opposing them we'd be a lot better uh position now to take on the threats to fossil fuels uh, and that industry that they're now facing but uh, they chose to go a different way we're talking with gary marshall who's retiring after 34 years ceo of the missouri corn growers gary you've of course in your position you've worked on a number of other issues especially legislative issues, public policy issues when it comes to agriculture in general. What are your, some of your thoughts, some of your best memories from uh, some of those uh, battles and accomplishments? Well, you know, uh, what, what is that, seven uh, farm 
bills. I think that I've been through something like that, seven or eight of those, because I think we had one of them that uh, it didn't take five years to get a new farm bill. So a lot of farm bills, we, we've seen you know, a lot of the support, the traditional loans and target prices go away and uh, in favor of uh, a more market-based type of, uh, of policy that includes crop insurance, which is a, a huge benefit to, uh, to farmers can't overstate the importance of crop insurance. But, uh, you know, the other thing that sticks out in my mind is we started in 1995 trying to keep some of the crop protection products like atrazine and simazine, the, we call them the trizines, in the marketplace because to switch to a different product which doesn't work as well and it costs more would cost Missouri and really U.S. farmers around 30 bucks an acre. So we've been able to keep those products in the marketplace now for over 25 years and that saves Missouri farmers about $100 million a year every single year and it saves U.S. farmers all across the country around $2 billion a year just keeping those two or three products in the marketplace. So that certainly has been a highlight too but you know, the opportunity to meet presidents and, you know, senators, congressmen, uh, you know, uh, movie stars, if you will. We've had different movie stars over the times, you know, that support ethanol and, and things. It's just been absolutely uh, amazing, the opportunities that I've had and that I've seen. And I, I, I couldn't be more pleased, you know, with the, uh, with the career. There's been some tough times, too. You know, some really, really tough times that we've seen, but we've seen some good times, and hopefully the best of times are still into the future. Yeah, I think so, and uh, I want to wish you uh, the very best in your in your retirement. Uh, congratulations on a tremendous career. Uh, I appreciate our friendship, and uh, I'm sure that uh, there'll be uh, a golf course uh, waiting in retirement for you very soon, right? Well, I hope so. That's uh, probably the number one goal right now is to get out play a little bit more golf get some nicer weather out here but i also appreciate your friendship mike and all that you've done for agriculture all across the u.s so my thanks to you and a special thanks to all the farmers that are listening out there all right gary best of luck to you and uh, again congratulations good to talk with you take care all right mike thanks all right gary marshall Retiring after a 34-year career, CEO of Missouri Corn Growers, one of the real leaders for the corn industry and for the ethanol industry, real uh, outstanding spokesman for agriculture, and we'll miss him. Wish him the very best in retirement. All right, up next, John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. He breaks down what's in this uh, stimulus package, this $1.9 trillion stimulus package, what's in it for agriculture. Get his thoughts on some trends in agriculture as we move through 2021. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day, our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain futures on the Board of Trade are all lower in trade today. The egg space has been especially choppy as of late, and that could continue into the end of the month's reports. Analysts are also expecting crop prices to be pressured by South American harvest. Weather forecasts are a bit wetter for Argentina and drier for some of the wet areas of Brazil. Some are even calling for a favorable system change. On the Board of Trade, May corn trading three and three quarters lower at 5.34 and a half cent. The July contract down four and three quarters at 5.23 and a half cent. For soybeans, the May contract down 18 at 13.95 and a half cent. The July contract down 17 and a fraction at 13.84 and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat may up a half a cent at 6.43. The July contract down a half cent at 6.35. Kansas City wheat March up two and a fraction at 6.06 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat may up a penny and three quarters at 635 and three quarters. For livestock, positive territory in live cattle would suggest follow through buying. However, it is Friday with a strong possibility that profits may be taken. April live cattle trading 85 cents higher at 119.37. The June contract up 55 at 120.22. For feeders, the March contract up 60 cents at 135.85. The April contract up 67 at 141.95. In lean hog contracts, the April contract down 47 at 91.02. The May contract down 52 at 93.02. In cash cattle country, we may see some cleanup business today. It looks like the bulk of trading has already been done, though. Light to moderate deals took place on both Wednesday and Thursday, with Southern Live business showing a range of $113 to $114. Northern Dress business ranged from $178 to $180 per hundredweight. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Ross. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, there's a lot in this uh, just past stimulus package. Well, there should be at $1.9 trillion, a lot of money going a lot of different places. Um, some controversial areas, uh, some big question marks uh, that have come up in this. But uh, let's focus in on the agricultural part of it. Talk it over with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, good to talk with you again. What are some of the things that stand out to you as far as the uh, ag provisions of the stimulus bill? Well, I think the the biggest component for our agricultural producers across the country is the uh, food purchase and distribution program. Uh, approximately $3.6 billion, uh, is is appropriated by Congress for these efforts. So uh, USDA will likely come in and, and do some sort of modified version of a farmers to families food box style program, uh, maybe even uh, use the restaurant chain and other food distribution channels. Uh, to significantly increase the uh, availability of, of food uh, across the country and address food security issues. And, of course, we're still waiting, and Secretary Vilsack told us earlier this week he has not yet decided how to spend some of the CFAP monies that he still that he inherits as he comes into USDA that are still there from a, a previous package. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes for agriculture. You know, it certainly is. You know, we've been asking for some time for the unfreezing of the CFAP additional assistance. Uh, we know the December package included uh, additional support for livestock, uh, uh, contract hog and poultry growers, and included a additional uh, $20 per acre payments for our row crop producers. So uh, we estimate that to be approximately $5 billion. And then we also see uh, additional top-up payments for cattle producers uh, in that December package. So we're waiting to see uh, that unfrozen uh, and and then uh, obviously working with the administration on implementation because we do have a lot of thoughts on how uh, that, that uh, you know, that last CFAP farm bill, so to speak, can be implemented across the country. I mentioned uh, there's a lot in this $1.9 trillion package. Obviously, one of the areas getting a lot of attention, some controversy surrounding the debt forgiveness uh, that is included in this. What are you hearing on that, John? Have you heard anything uh, from uh, different segments of agriculture about how that's been handled in this bill? You know, I've heard from, from quite a few uh, farmers across the country uh, on this particular provision. Uh, what it does, it allocates uh, at least an estimated $4 billion to provide loan forgiveness for socially disadvantaged farmers, up to 120% of their USDA loan. And then it also provides uh, another billion dollars in support to uh, develop programming and resources to help uh, increase uh, diversity in, in agricultural uh, operations and agricultural land uh, ownership. I think the important component uh, of this, Mike, is is we need to come together in a bipartisan way and, and have a, a, a real conversation about the challenges uh, that that uh, you know our farmers, our young farmers, our minority farmers, our women farmers around the country uh, may have faced you know historically as well as today, uh, and then develop bipartisan solutions. Um, you know that, that's the key component of this, and we didn't do this uh, in a bipartisan way, and we hope that we uh, address these and all of our other concerns in agriculture, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's broadband whether it's climate, we need to do it in a bipartisan way. Yeah, I want to come back to that in just a moment, but you mentioned broadband. That's another area that could see a, a boost from this package. 
You're exactly right. So not only in this package, but in previous packages, and, and then we saw throughout the, the Trump administration, uh, a lot of financial resources allocated across the country to, uh, quote-unquote, bridge the digital divide. Uh, this package, the American Rescue Plan, also uh, importantly includes several hundred million dollars for, for rural health care and telehealth issues. Uh, we know how important that is, you know, during a pandemic for our uh, rural rural counties and farm counties across the country to have access to the health care they need uh, during this pandemic and moving forward. So uh, this $2 trillion package comes on the back of a $900 billion package and on the back of another $2.2 trillion package. And there's a lot in that that can help uh, farmers, small businesses in rural America. Yeah, I, I wrote a commentary this week uh, uh, going back to uh, former Senator Everett Dirksen from Illinois, the late Senator Dirksen, and his line about a billion here, a billion there, and starts after a while starts adding up to you know some serious money. Kind of paraphrasing there, and um, I guess we have to update now to a trillion here or a trillion there, right? It's it's we're getting these huge numbers. We're talking with John Newton, you know, chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, you mentioned this was not a bipartisan bill; it passed on strictly party lines, uh, which makes you wonder about the chances, what's it going to be like trying to pass an immigration bill or an infrastructure bill? At some point, we just need the two sides to come together and work together on these issues. You know, we do. And I think when you think about everything we heard, uh, you know, after the election about coming together and unifying the country uh, and working on issues together, that's bipartisan. Uh, That's everybody at the table uh, bringing their ideas and, and finding common solutions that, that work for everyone. And so, uh, you know, I think we want to work in a bipartisan fashion. Uh, you know, President Duvall has uh, frequent conversations with Chairman Scott. He's been on the phone with, with Secretary Vilsack several times. We want to work on a bipartisan fashion with, with everybody. And I think uh, given the significance of the issues in front of us, whether it's immigration, whether it's infrastructure, uh, whether it's getting past the coronavirus um, you know, we need to find bipartisan solutions there. Addressing climate, uh, we've got to do that in a bipartisan way, too. So hopefully uh, the tide turns and we can come together. Uh, we've done so historically, this great country, and hopefully we can do so again. So let's look ahead. Where we're at with the ag economy, we've been enjoying this um, market rally. It certainly helps, um, and hopefully it's going to continue. But Moving forward, and Secretary Vilsack has been talking about this since he's come back to USDA, about the amount of income that most many farm families get off the farm and uh, needing to create more market opportunities for on-farm income. Where do you see that going? Well, you know, that's a, that's a fantastic point. You know, a lot of farmers, uh, small and medium-sized farms, depend on, you know, off-farm income uh, to support the farm operation. You know, before I was at Farm Bureau, you know, I was at the University of Illinois, and we had faculty members even that had a farm operation uh, that they were running uh, in addition to doing research and extension and teaching. So off-farm income is a, is a key component, but I'll tell you what we need uh, to build our rural economies and to, to build our, our farm economies. We need the infrastructure. We need the broadband. Uh, we need to build those rural economies. We need access to health care. Uh, and I think that'll help support our rural economies and help support our farm economies in these rural communities. Okay, as we head towards the uh, March 31st planning intentions report, and all eyes will be on that, certainly, 
what's your assessment of where we're at in this uh, this market rally and where it's headed? You know, I think the rally is, is is waiting on some fresh news. I mean, we've been looking at the export numbers every single week. Uh, I think when you look at the corn number, we've got a whole lot of outstanding corn that, that's yet to be uh, put on a boat and, and shipped. So people are obviously watching the pace of exports, waiting for some fresh uh, headlines. we got to feed the bulls. And, and right now there's not a lot to feed other than uh, weather issues uh, in, in South America. So uh, when you move towards the acreage conversation, you know, here in a, here in a couple of weeks, I think uh, folks are anxious to get out and get corn in the ground. Uh, but when you look at that soybean to corn price ratio, probably makes you think twice. And, and maybe you can get out and, and get some beans in early. Um, but but I still think we're probably going to see king corn this year. Hmm. It is going to be interesting. And always, always got to get you a, a dairy question in here. Uh, we, we still have problems with Canada. USMCA did not solve all that, so there are issues there to work out. Uh, what, where, what's your outlook on the uh, on the dairy front for this year? Well, you know, when we started off, Mike, you know, talking about you know three point six billion in additional you know food purchase and distribution programs, um, uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of money uh, this year addressing food security, and um, you know, I think dairy is going to be a big component of it. I think the dairy industry recognized. Uh, the impact of these programs on, you know, cheese and milk price volatility in 2020. So we've got to figure out a better way uh, to distribute dairy products through these food distribution programs without disrupted markets. And I think USDA is, is hyper aware of that uh, at, at this point. So uh, I think that's going to help carry prices. We've seen butter uh, come up a little bit. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, if these base excess programs that are being put in place around the country are effective, uh, in slowing the growth in milk production, I think that can help lift prices. Uh, but but you know dairy farms across the country uh, they milk they milk more cows when the prices are good, uh, and they milk more cows when the prices are bad. So we're going to have record milk production this year. Uh, it's going to be a story of demand. And certainly Tom Vilsack coming back to USDA coming from his time at the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Uh, I'm sure those dairy issues will be front front and center at the top of his mind uh, as he comes back to USDA will be working on them. Yeah, you know, he 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 loves the farmers, and I think that's evident. You know, I've seen him uh, a number of times visit with farmers, whether it's, you know, with the Farm Bureau or with uh, National Milk when I, when I work there. But, um, you know, I'd be remiss, Mike, if I didn't bring this up. You mentioned U.S. Dairy Export Council, and uh, they lost a soldier. Uh, you know, Al Levitt, uh, was with the U.S. Dairy Export Council for quite a long time. He was a mentor to me, uh, and he, he did great things for the dairy industry. Yep, he'll be missed. John, as always, good to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Up next, we'll have the latest ag equipment sales numbers right here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can. 
making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, for the latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. He joins us now with a look at the February numbers. Does it look like there's too much change from January? Yes, it, the index has been very, very constant since approximately uh, November. 
One thing that has changed in the last few months is the fact that the index of current conditions is much higher now than the index of future expectations. And when you look at some of the questions related to the index of current conditions, it's pretty obviously to see what's on people's minds. One of the questions we ask related to current conditions is, do you think financial performance this year is going to be better than last year? And we know that 2020 was a pretty good income year for a lot of farmers. Uh, 37% think that 2021 is going to be even better uh, than 2020. And so that's certainly optimism uh, when you're looking at the next 12 months. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Each month, we talk with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers to get the latest ag equipment sales numbers. Uh, and Kurt, as we look at the, the latest numbers, I, uh, I, I know a lot goes into these numbers, what's behind them, but I always look at them as one, not the only, but one indicator, kind of a barometer of uh, farmers' confidence and how they feel about how things are going with the farm economy. And so when those numbers have held steady through this pandemic and are starting to go up now, I I think it's kind of a sign of uh, maybe what's ahead, hopefully, and uh, better times even ahead. So I I say all that kind of setting you up to give us some good numbers here or, or improving numbers. Do you have them? I, I do have improving numbers, and i tell you what, Mike, I couldn't have set it up better. That is uh, perfect in that I completely agree. The uh, the overall tractor and combine sales are usually a pretty good indication of farmer sentiment. And the February numbers came in uh, pretty strong for the United States. Uh, we saw pretty much across the board on tractors, uh, you know, a 40% jump in under 40 horsepower tractors, a 28% jump in mid-range tractors and a 45% jump in 100 plus horsepower tractors uh, for the two for the two-wheel drive class. Uh, that's pretty solid across the board. Saw a little bit of a decline in the in the articulated four-wheel drive and a and a decline in combines. But we also have to remember that those two categories were incredibly strong in January. So we're up across the board for the year already. And getting back to the farmers confidence in where things are going obviously need is a part of this i mean you get to a point you just need to make it an equipment change and update but obviously to pull the trigger on a major purchase like this farmers uh, are going to want to and need to feel pretty good about the way things are going certainly this uh, market rally we've been in for several months now certainly helps yeah absolutely you know you're you're absolutely right you farmers don't buy equipment because it's you know they want to they want they buy it because they need to and you know if the economics point to the fact that you can also make a cash flow on your farm that's when it makes a difference and boy we've enjoyed these nice this rally in commodity prices over the last you know couple of weeks been pretty great obviously that's pointing to some increased demand for those uh for those tractors but also there's some pretty good things on the horizon i mean it seems as if you know, farmer sentiment uh, from from all sources seems like it's pretty high right now. And in terms of you know trade optimism and demand optimism, and you know even looking at uh, you know new administration and and perhaps uh, 
you know, some additional support for, uh, for renewable fuels. So I think there's a lot for farmers to be optimistic uh, on uh, that, you know, it's, that is, is sort of the story behind the numbers here, certainly on, uh, on ag tractors. I think there are questions that many farmers have about regulations and where we're going with climate issues and things like that. But some of the new technology in this equipment may help with what's coming down the road on, on those areas. Well, you know, I'm, I'm i I'm a glass half full kind of guy, Mike. So I, I tend to think, you know, certainly I don't like regulations and that's something that we pretty stand pretty strong with it at, at, at AEM is that, uh, we want we like necessary regulations, but we certainly want to make sure that they're as pro business as they can be. And I think all the discussion around climate change regu- uh, uh, regulation and all the things that are being talked about, you know, specifically agriculture being part of the problem. You're you're absolutely right. This technology that equipment manufacturers are putting out there and technology companies are putting out there that's part of the solution, and that's just pretty neat. So I love to see that. Uh, you know, I, I'm optimistic that anything that comes around the, the, you know, comes down the road that looks regulatory, that, that sort of impacts our farm business, is going to have a balance that is also economically beneficial or at least economically neutral uh, for farmers. But I'm kind of optimistic that there's some, there's some ways that farmers can make a little bit of money on this and even improve their farming operations at the same time. We're even seeing some better sales numbers out of Canada, aren't we? Canada has been, uh, you know, surprisingly strong. In fact, across the board, all cal- all classes, Canada is up for the month of uh, February and year to date, really holding on strong. We're seeing for, uh, you know, for tractors are up sixty percent, um, you know, year over year for the month of February. That's pretty solid. Year to date, up almost fifty percent uh, across all categories in the month of February. Um, you know, that points to the fact that uh, last year, this time in Canada was soft. So, you know, it's taken us a little bit longer to, for them to enjoy that same rally we've had here in the United States. But I'll tell you, I'd love to see these numbers solid across the board. Now, in both sides of the border, you know, it goes without saying that, that um, a lot of this volume, a lot of this percentage volume is, is being sold to those under 40 horsepower tractors. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of folks that are, uh, you know, includes some farm people using shore tractors, but it also includes a lot of people that are buying for acreages and for their, uh, you know, for the driveways and for their bigger, bigger lawns uh, that may not necessarily be considered farmers, but we'll take the, we'll take the volume because that helps uh, add to the bottom lines of the manufacturers across the board so they can continue to invest in good technology. And when you have these new purchases taking place, that means there's going to be uh, some uh, more used equipment available to farmers. You bet. You know, the used market obviously is so closely tied to the new market or the new market so closely tied to the used market because, you know, those uh, those big pieces of equipment uh, have a lot of value and, we've, and, and they have a lot of value for a very long time. So, you know, if your farm is set up to have new equipment every few years and that's how you've set your business up, that's fantastic. If you're a business that's set up to be sort of the next use of that tractor you may want to drive it a little bit longer that works well but what we're finding when you sell some new equipment we see new new equipment being purchased that has that ripple effect that that next person in line might be getting access to some new equipment uh at at reasonable prices as well all right kurt we'll talk again next month and hopefully the the numbers keep uh, improving thanks a lot you bet thanks mike 
Take care. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. That wraps it up for today and for another week. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. Talk with you again on Monday right here on AOA. AOA.